A warm, warm welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope this finds you well. And in our conversation today, I'm going to be speaking with our dear friend, Jim Detmer from the Conscious Leadership Group. So today with Jim Detmer, what are we going to explore? We're going to explore what is presence. We will be exploring what are some of the common mistakes that we hold about what presence is. We'll talk about how does Jim do this work? How does he bring presence into the work he does with the CEOs and executives and leaders that he coaches? And we'll talk about what's this core mechanism at the heart of who we are as a human being that has us get stuck. And then how can presence play a role in freeing us up? So just a few words about Jim. He's a coach, a speaker, an author, and founding partner at the Conscious Leadership Group. He's worked with over 150 CEOs and their teams over the years to integrate conscious leadership into their organizations. He leads monthly forums for for leaders in Chicago and New York and trains coaches through the Conscious Leadership Group. He's also the co-author of the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, which was a great book, an Amazon bestseller. That all being said, let's dive in. Here's the conversation with Jim Detmer. Yeah, Jim, great to be with you. And uh, I always enjoy our conversations. And we're going to talk about the power of presence, why presence is such an important capacity or or, um, faculty that clients can have and be in their coaching to make it truly transformational. So actually, that's a good place to start, I think, is just to ask you what is the power of presence what does it make possible in coaching okay beautiful good to be with you joel (laughs) start there well presence is the whole thing whatever else you're doing unless it's in service of inviting your clients to drop into presence or to experience the real truth of who they are to experience the freedom and liberation that is their natural state, whatever else you're doing is at best a distraction. So period, full stop. It is what transformational coaching is. You see, whatever your clients come to you with, whatever their content is, whether it's about some personal internal experience of sadness or depression or anxiety or lack of focus or purpose or meaning, or whether they come to you with a relationship issue, you know, with their intimate relationship or in parenting or friendship, or whether they come to you with a corporate issue, whatever issue they bring, it is an issue for them because they have lost touch with presence. You see, when one is resting in and as presence, there are no problems. And there is no problem to solve. And all of your clients, and you and me, simply forget we forget the truth of who we are. In some cases, we've never experienced it, at least in our adult life. So we have to invite people back to an experience of it. But once one experiences it and learns how to return to it, then 
as a coach, regardless of what modality I'm using, all I'm doing is inviting clients to see the truth of who they are. And when that happens, whatever their presenting issue is, all of a sudden, one has perspective. Oh, I see. Okay. So presence is everything. <laughs> From my perspective, there's nothing else going on. Like Ram Dass said, all we're doing is walking each other home. Home is presence. Home is the truth of who you are. Home is seen through the illusion of a separate egoic self. That's all we're ever doing. So there you go. That's why presence is important. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Boom. I love the answer. <laughs> um, well, Everything actually, else is a means to that. Right. Yeah. It really cuts to the heart of it. And you, you actually said something there that I think is, I want to underscore because something you are. Yeah. Because I think a lot of the time people hold a presence as something I want to cultivate, something that I have, you know, but actually, you're saying it's something you are. And so I'm, I'm also wondering, you could say something about that and, and maybe point us to this presence that we are. I already feel it as you speak about it, actually. But yeah. to have a taste of that presence might be useful. Well, your first question is a good one because people begin by thinking that presence is something they need to get or something they need to achieve. But as soon as you think that, you're already separate from presence. There's you and there's presence. And that sense of separation is the original violation to the truth of who you are. The truth is, that you are already presence, not present. Present is like the present moment, the future moment, the present moment, the past moment. It's not about being present. It's about resting as the presence that you already are. So that's basically what all non-dual traditions are pointing at, is that it's not a place to get to. It's not a quality that you have to develop. It's your natural state. And even that is, because we have to use words, even that isn't accurate. It's not your natural state. It is all that is. And so all we're doing is you know, you can say it however you want. We're just letting go back into what is already always only happening. Or we're just reminding ourselves again of the truth of who we are. That's really an important distinction, that it's not a journey to get to. It's not a quality to cultivate, like, like someone might want to cultivate compassion or humility or something like that. You don't cultivate presence. It's what you already are. And by the way, as you rest more and more in the truth of what you are, forgetting as we do over and over again, and then returning, 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 
that natural state is incredibly compassionate. It's also incredibly humble because it has total perspective. So all these qualities that we think we want, we already are. Right? Mm. You know all that. <laughs> and I'm just playing devil's advocate here because uh, someone listening might be like, oh, this sounds quite spiritual or esoteric, although for me it sounds very practical too. And that's what I want to go to. It's like you're, you're coaching business leaders, CEOs, executives, you know, on the line, high-pressured situations. And so, yeah, can you sort of give us a sense of how this, what you're describing, fits in that arena, you know, um, with the work sure. you do with the clients? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, most clients who come to me and to us don't come saying, I would like to coach with you so that you can remind me of the truth of who I am. That's not why they come. They come with a presenting issue. I say that because you began this conversation saying, let's talk about presence, which is great because you and I are talking about coaching and we're talking to coaches, but that's not the way the average client comes. So the client comes to me, like I'll be talking to somebody this afternoon who's coming to me because uh, he's a senior executive in a large international firm, and he got a bad performance review saying that he can be insensitive to certain people in the population that he's working with. Well, he's not coming to me saying, can you show me the way back to presence? <laughs> because when I lose touch with presence, my egoic fixation takes over and my personality structure starts to operate. And then I become insensitive. He's coming and saying, if I don't fix this problem, I'm not going to get my next promotion. Right? So, we begin by first and foremost, validating the client's experience. If I saw the world the way he sees the world, I'd be frustrated, troubled, stressed, because I would be wanting to achieve the next rung on the ladder of my career development. And I'm being told that I'm being blocked because of something going on in the way I relate to people. So first of all, I need to validate his direct experience. So as coaches, we see the world through the client's eyes. Nobody cares how much you know about anything until they know how much you care about what their current reality is. And then I might begin to deal one layer below that. And so the model we use is, are you relating to the world from trust or fear? Well, when he's activated, he's relating to the world through threat, through fear. He's experiencing a threat to something that he wants. So then I'm going to give him a simple model there. To, are you relating to the world through trust or threat? And what does it look like when you're relating to the world through trust? And he might not like that word. So I could use a million different words, including the simple model we use just above the line or below the line. Just take all any kind of spiritual language out. Let's just make it, you know, get it as simple as possible. Okay. Then he starts to be able to identify, wow, I got reactive in that meeting the other day because I realized I was below the line. I was in a threatened state. Great. Then we're going to talk about what is threat. Well, threat occurs, and I'm just breaking it down, breaking it down. Threat occurs as a sense that there's a threat to my wanting of approval, control, security, 
or oneness, the four core things that all human beings want. And again, with him, I'll help him interpret what those mean to him. Because what approval means to him is very different than what approval means to, you know, a professional actor, for example. They're just going to have a different notion of what approval means. That's okay. I'll help him break it down. So then he gets a little more familiar. Then the next time we talk or that time he could say, oh, I just realized I got reactive because I was experiencing a threat to my wanting control. And I couldn't get control of this person or this circumstance. Oh, great, 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 great. So now we're just starting to learn a little bit. And then I'm going to introduce him to the subject of self-acceptance. After self-awareness, then I'm going to start talking to him about self-acceptance. Because until he can begin to give himself a moment or two, just a moment or two, a breath of self-acceptance, the structure that has him tied up, his internal structure, can't relax. He's not available to deeper inquiry until his structure relaxes. So again, the client doesn't come saying what you said, what is presence? The client comes saying, I'm not going to get the promotion I want. Okay, great. First, understand them, feel them, see them, experience them, then start to give them insight into what is causing the pattern. And even through all that, I'm not going to say, well, you know what, if you just change these five behaviors, People will have a different experience of you. By the way, that's a legitimate way to coach people. It's much easier to change somebody's behaviors than it is to change their consciousness. And a lot of coaching just needs to be transactional. I just like to be clear that I'm not a transactional coach. I could tell them, okay, I got it. I've been to this movie a million times. Here are 10 things you can never say. And here are five things that if you start saying them, it's your next 360, people will find you. They will report that you are more open, more curious, more responsive, less of a jerk. But that won't fix what's going on at the deepest level. So that's the difference between transactional, behavioral, coaching, which, again, I think there's a valid place for that in the world. I just think coaches have to be clear about what they're doing. So transformational coaching is walking people back to the truth of who they are, to presence. But you don't just start there. Although even when I coach him, after we coach for a while, at the beginning of each time, I might just do a little guided meditation where he starts to experience presence. And then I might give him an assignment to start to listen to a particular meditation app every day where he'll start to experience. And most of all, he'll feel it in me. Mm. He'll feel it just like I feel it in you and you feel it in me. And then even if he, even if he can't put words to it, he'll go, huh, there's a different experience over there. What is that? And that hopefully will make him curious if he's interested in that. That making sense? So you don't start there with executives or whoever it is you're coaching. You start with where they're at. If if my trigger, if I'm coming to you for coaching because my two-year-old is out of control, you know, not very compassionate for me to say to you, well, the problem is that you've just lost presence. (laughs) Okay, so what? I still need a little help around my two-year-old. Yeah. And um, there's a lot I could ask you, but just to complete, you said um, uh, there would be self-awareness and then self-acceptance. And then what would come after that? Is, is, would there yeah, be another step after that? Sure. In our model, 
after self-awareness, which is the ability to just locate yourself, where are you? After that comes self-acceptance. Can I just accept myself for being in a threatened state? If fear or triggered or reactivity or threat isn't met with compassion, it doesn't relax. And then after that, once a person has relaxed themselves, then the next step for me is just to probe their willingness. Are they willing to be with the content of their life from a different consciousness? So willingness becomes the next question. And that's not a given. It's not a rhetorical question. Because what I explore with clients is the truth that many times they want to stay in the exact same consciousness that they're in, meaning they want to stay in a threatened state, which activates their personality structure. And they want to try to solve the apparent problem through the techniques that they've learned over the course of their life. That makes sense to me because to whatever degree it's worked for them, this person I'm going to be talking to is wildly successful on so many fronts. So he'd need a real motivation to think about being willing to be with the content of his life from an entirely different consciousness. So, you know, in our work, we have the 15 commitments. So the 15 commitments just map to that consciousness. Most people are with the content of their life from blame and criticism. Are they willing to be with it from taking responsibility? Most people are with the content of their life from wanting to be right, to prove they're right. Are they willing to be with it from curiosity? Most people are with the content of their life, not willing to feel their deepest feelings. Are they willing to feel their feelings? Most people don't practice candor. Are they willing to practice candor? So then those commitments start to map to a different way to play the game of life that then we could start to experiment with. And by the way, all of those are just characteristics of what shows up when a person starts to rest more and more in presence. When I'm resting in presence, blame and criticism naturally drop out. Egoic attachment to proving I'm right naturally drops out. Feeling feelings just becomes part of life. It's part of the deliciousness of the technicolor of life. So I don't repress and suppress mine, and I don't try to keep you from feeling your feelings. Those things naturally occur as one rests more and more in presence. So we'll eventually get to what does it look like to be in presence? Mm. And then the shorthand kicks in. Are you in presence or not? And you will know in an instant. And then do you have techniques, ways that you can return to presence? That becomes the simple game, but it doesn't start out that way with people. Yeah, that's really powerful. Because um, what would you say about, because um, I imagine, like you said, there's just different types of coaching and um, some coaches might then advocate certain strategies uh, to fix things, uh, help their clients fix things. But actually, what I'm guessing here, I think I know the answer, but I would love to hear what you think, is that once they've shifted back to presence, suddenly they're, they've tapped into a kind of wisdom and compassion that then they can see what needs to happen next or they need to do next. Absolutely right. By the way, I want to say again, I'm totally supportive of coaches who have a toolkit that allows them 
to fix things in their clients' lives. That's great. <laughs> so it's just not what I'm called to. It's not what I'm up to. I love it. In my experience, most of those fixes, not all, most create temporary relief. By the way, temporary relief is not a bad thing. It solves the apparent presenting problem, which again, that's a fine thing to do, but it doesn't produce sustainable transformation. So if we're going to look at, okay, so it's not about, for me, having a toolkit of techniques, insights, experiences that allow the apparent problem to be fixed. What am I doing? Well, I'm inviting them to the truth of who they are. And to your point, and I know it's your experience and it's my experience, once I can rest in presence, one of the things that comes back online is my natural, intuitive, instinctual wisdom. Another way of saying that is from presence, I can ask myself the simple question, what is, what is the next right action? Such a good question. When I'm triggered and I ask, what is the next right action? The answer will just be whatever my personality structure thinks gives me the greatest probability of getting the approval, control, and security that I think I lack. <laughs> but from presence, if I ask, huh, what's the next right action here? I will almost always know. And if I don't know, I'll be available to input feedback from others at a much deeper level because I'm so much more open to learning when my ego isn't attached to being right and saving itself. So that's a big one, helping people open up back to their deep, intuitive, instinctual knowing. And I think what's really crucial is that this is a really true. What you just said is really true for coaches, yeah? That actually we have to do that work that you just described there so that we don't get caught in our own need for approval or controlling the coaching session and that we remain uh, attached or, or say connected or available to that intuition and, and you know, curiosity. I, I just wonder what you think about that. Well, again, I would come back to if a coach is interested, first and foremost, personally, in presence as a way of being, then everything in life is just a practice session. Everything. It's just a dojo. Life becomes the dojo where I practice being in presence, falling out of presence, returning to presence losing presence, whatever language we want to use, right? And the coaching experiences experience is just going to be one of the places where I get to practice. So I go out of presence with clients all the time. I lose the sense of the truth of who I am, or usually around wanting approval, control, security, oneness, something like that. But I just lose presence. That's okay. I don't make that a problem at all. I just forgot. 
So then I return and I will say to clients, hold on a second. I've gone, and again, depending on where they are in my work with them, I might say, I've gone below the line. I've become threatened. I'm in a reactive state. I'm thinking that I need to say something to you that's going to fix your apparent problem or you're going to want to stop working with me. Or I'm thinking that you think I'm too woo-woo, airy-fairy, touchy-feely, too spiritual. And whenever I start thinking those thoughts, I disconnect from being with you. I'll just be truthful about whatever's coming up for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because everything is practice. Everything is an invitation to awareness and acceptance. And there's nothing. First of all, I want to do that just for me. Second, I'm modeling for the client exactly what I want them to hold as a possibility for their experience that all of life is just a practice session and you can't screw it up. You can't possibly screw it up. You just get to keep practicing. Fall off the horse, get back on the horse, fall off the horse, get back on the horse, be gentle, toddle. Don't, you know, you don't need to add any extra stuff to it. Just come back, mm -hmm. come back, come back. Yeah. So that's why I say so often, I, you know, coaches think that, oh, golly, I've got a coaching client. Okay, so now... I need to get focused on being with the client because it's all about the client. And there's some truth to that. I need to cultivate the capacity to really be with the client in a way that the client feels gotten. But if that's all I think coaching is, I've missed a huge part of what coaching is. Coaching is my dojo where I get to practice presence. And I say that to clients right up front. I say, let's just get clear. This is not a relationship where it's a one-way thing where I'm here simply to teach you, inform you, coach you. We're here to practice together. This is a relationship. If that's not what you're up here, if, in other words, if you're not up for me getting my, all of my learnings as we do this, then you're not the kind of client I want. Hmm. We both get to be playing the game. That's great to hear. Because I do think that's that's one of the sacred cows often, or people hold that, don't they? It's all about the client, the client's agenda. I'm, you know, I'm not part of this, but actually I'm hearing that you're you're you are a part of it and you bring yourself into that relationship in the moment, in presence or as presence. And so there's a like I'm just curious what that's like. Is there, you know, you're you're attuning to yourself, to the client, to the moment, to the topic. Um, what's, what's that like? Like we could unpack that, you know, what are you doing yeah. in inverted commas? Yeah. yeah. So first of all, there is some truth to the content of the session is almost always going to be the client's content. So in other words, we don't show up and I say, well, what's going on with you? And he says, well, I'm afraid I'm not going to get a promotion. I say, well, what's going on with me is I'm really pissed off because I just have my grandchildren here and they kind of wrecked one of my favorite places in the house. <laughs> so let's talk about that. It's not like that. Unless, by the way, my content is of service to the client, then my content becomes fair game. But when I say we're both here practicing, the client's content is going to drive the session. But I get to practice being in presence myself and being in presence with the client. So that comes back to this idea that uh, I place my attention. I'm moving my attention. I move my attention. First, my attention's on myself. Am I in presence or am I in a threatened state? Can I feel that in my body? How's my breath? What's my pace of speech? What's my posture? 
So I'm learning all the signs for me, whether I'm in presence. So I check with myself. My attention's over here for just a beat or two. Then I move my attention over to the client and I just feel in over there. Are they in presence? Same kind of questions I'm asking. And then I move my attention to our relationship. Is our relationship in presence? So I move my attention from me to them, to us, to them, to me, to us. I'm moving my attention and feeling what's happening in all of those dimensions. And then the fourth place that I always place my attention is I move my attention away from this, from that person, me, and us. I move my attention out into the universe, to creation. As you know, Joel, you said to me, you know, my backgrounds are always quite nice. Well, I have the unbelievable privilege of spending most of my time in our place in Michigan, which is beautiful. But more importantly to me, I have direct access to nature. That's really important to me because when I'm coaching or even as I'm talking to you, periodically, I just look out. And when I look out, I see mm. trees and I see water and I see sand dunes. And you know what's true about all that, Joel? It never forgets who it is. Never. And it's always inviting me to come back to the truth of who I am. So I say that, and some coaches, they're not going to look out a window and see nature. Great. So I say, have something living in your office. Have a living plant in your office. Have a living animal, a cat, a dog, something that doesn't forget who it is. So that periodically throughout your session, you can go, oh, yeah, when I look over at that flower, that plant, I get it. It's not made up. It hasn't forgotten its plantness. <laughs> it's just rooted. It's just being sustained. It's just being. So that's the fourth dimension. Me, you, us, it. That it's really important because it has never forgotten who it is. David White, I forget the poem. He's got a beautiful poem or he quotes somebody's poem about when you forget who you are, I'll, I won't say it in poetic form, just look at nature. It hasn't forgotten who it is. When you think you're lost, go stand in the woods and look at the trees. They're never lost. And they'll remind you, you're not lost either. Hmm. So there's a fourth dimension to that, what we call where your attention is moving. Um. Yeah, that's great. I, I appreciate it because it's like giving us a, a real feel for in the moment what you're attuning to. And I'm there's a lot I could ask you about that. But I, because of time, I want to actually ask you about emergence or like being in the unknown as well in coaching. Because, uh, yeah, my, my sense is it's really crucial. It's really an important ingredient um, what's that like for you, you know, like this being with what's emerging or with the unknown? Why is that important to you? And if so, why? Because it's real. <laughs> that is, you could just ask right now, what 
is actually known. If I'm committed to staying in the known in my coaching experience, what is actually known? What you discover is there are only a few things that are ever actually knowable in any moment. And those are my current sensory experience. That's knowable. I can look at this screen and I can see this one called Joel and I can see this one called Jim and I can hear waves lapping and I can feel dampness on my fingertips. That's knowable. My direct sensory experience is knowable. Thoughts are knowable. I'm having the thought that I like the pace of our conversation right now. That's just a thought. That's knowable that the thought is occurring. And it's also knowable that I have a sense of a me that is having all this experience. And then if I'm willing, it's knowable that presence is always here. That's all that's knowable. Everything else is made up. So therefore, it's not very stable. If I go, well, I know my toolkit as a coach, so it's available. That's great, except that's a memory from the past. It's not that it's not real, but it is real only as a memory from the past. It's not that it's not useful because it might be, but the truth of the matter is I have no idea what's going to emerge in the next moment. None. Now, that can be terrifying, which it is for most people, and that's why they try to secure or stabilize the future so it becomes knowable or predictable. That's okay. But once somebody learns to dance with presence, there's nothing more delightful than the unknowability of life. Because then you get to be surprised, invited, danced with. You get to experience the joy of, oh my gosh, I had no idea that was going to emerge. Emergence isn't just a reality, which it is. It's also an invitation to dance with life, including in the session. You have no idea what your client's going to say next or you're going to say next. I say to people all the time, if you think you want control, no ability, then just tell me what you're going to think next. You don't even know what your next thought's going to be. How in the world could you ever have no ability and predictability? You might know that you're going to think, but you have no idea what the next thought is. So. As I learn to trust, by the way, I can't dance with the emergence until I have basic trust. Mm. Because if I don't have the capacity to trust the okayness, then the emergent future could always be threatening. So therefore, I'm not going to want to fall into it. So part of what a coach needs to do is cultivate basic trust. I get that word from A.H. Almas in his wonderful book, Facets of Unity. He's got a beautiful chapter on basic trust that I give to most of my advanced clients to read because ultimately we're cultivating basic trust. That 
we can be held. Now, most of us weren't held by our primary caregivers in a way that created basic trust. So we have to relearn what it is to be held. Now, once I feel held, held, then I can relax and be with what emerges. But absent a grounded sense of being held, the future could be terrifying. So I have to brace against it. That's really inspiring because I think that is a capacity that we need in these times in particular, perhaps where everything feels so uh, turbulent and that, um, you know, maybe there's, there, there's more tendency for us to be afraid and disconnect because there's something about the way you talk about all this. First of all, I feel the aliveness inside of you as you talk about it. There's a kind of intimacy with experience as you as you described our our capacity to be with what's emerging in a sensory way that um you know for me there's also this sense of of like organic intelligence or um you know like flow of life that we can kind of open to more and that might sound a bit new agey or fluffy but it's you know it's not it's actually very practical we're not controlling we're not abstracting away from we're actually you know, kind of opening to what wants to begin to flow. And that's part of uh, growth, you know, that's what growth is in development. So um, it's deeply fulfilling and alive, you know. Yes, we have to confront our fear, you know, the the fear of the unknown, but but in that fear transmutes into a kind of excitement and aliveness as well. So yes, um, yes. And fear is often just the next thing that is flowing. Fear is not separate from flow. Fear is what's flowing. So can I just be with fear? Can I be with whatever the next emergence is? People think once I learn basic trust and once I learn to rest in flow state, then I'm never going to feel fear or anger or sadness or heartbreak or confusion. That's utter bullshit. (laughs) All of those things emerge as part of flow. It's, can I learn to be with those things in a way that allows them to do what they're here to do? Yeah. It's so easy to start to develop a preference for peace or equanimity or joy And then we develop an attachment for those states. And all of a sudden, we're out of presence because we're evaluating everything against a previous joy experience Mm. and saying, well, what I'm having now isn't that. So therefore, I must not be in presence and flow. That's a typical cul-de-sac in the journey where we get stuck. Yeah. Especially well, if you've been in the presence of a master or, or you did a medicine journey. You went and you did MDMA or psilocybin or you were in the presence of a master and you go, oh, my God, I saw it. I felt it. I was in the presence of this being and she was so present. I got it. But then we compare everything back to that experience. And then we are always seeking that, which is just another illusion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we've got a few minutes left. Um, 
What I'd love to do is invite you, if we could briefly just share a practice uh, that you recommend coaches do. It could be something very simple within the time frame we have. It would need to be maybe the practice you shared earlier of putting your attention on you and other in the relationship or something else that comes up um, that you could share. And then I'd love to ask you just briefly what you'll share, what you'll be teaching in the power of presence as well. Okay. Well, first, uh, coaches need personal practices that remind them of the truth of who they are. And there are many of those. Uh, we've talked before. One of my favorites is so simple. I learned it from Locke Kelly, who's one of my favorite teachers around this stuff. And it's just to simply ask yourself the question, what's here now if there are no problems to solve? Actually, ask the question and check, what's here now if there are no problems to solve? I love it because it actually is a hack for the seeking mind. The seeking mind believes its job is to identify all the current problems and then solve them. And when you ask the question or the question is asked, what's here now if there are no problems to solve? There's a moment. It's not long. There's a moment when the mind goes, what do you mean? It's like it short circuits the mind for a second. And then what's left? Is present. So I might tell a coach, I want you to download Mind Jogger or randomly remind me an app. I want you to program it to ask, what's here now? If there's no problem to solve, have that ask you that randomly five or six times a day. And your only promise is you'll pause, take a breath, and you'll answer the question. Okay, so a practice like that, or, you know, I love Sam Harris's waking up app. There are lots mm -hmm. of meditation apps, but I love that one because he's pointing at this. Some people don't like Sam's meditations because they go, he talks too much or, you know, I don't get it or whatever. I say, I don't care. Just do it for a year and see what happens. Because I think that app is pointing at it and giving you a drive. So a coach needs practices and a coach needs practices in their relationships in life. Then a coach needs a practice to do when they're coaching and the looping it's what it's called, looping our attention. I got that from Katie Hendricks, one of my mentors. My loop of awareness, it's on me, it's on you, it's on us, it's on it. It's on you, it's on me, it's on us, it's on it. It's on us, it's on you, it's on me, it's on it. Just moving my attention so it doesn't get stuck. That's a great one to do. And learning another very simple practice is just make candor part of your coaching practice. Meaning, reveal to your client what is unarguable in you. Any thoughts you're having, any feelings, just reveal those. And that will immediately evoke an interruption that can bring us back to presence. So those are some. And what we'll be doing in the course is just this. There's, I don't know anything else to do other than this. Only I'll get to interact with people and I'll get to coach people about how to do this through their direct experience. And I'll lay out a more detailed roadmap, a little bit of what we were doing at the beginning, but it'll just be all about this. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I really, really looking forward to that. And um, I really appreciate the uh, being together with you again, Jim, you know, I can feel, feel the, the, the joy actually of speaking with yeah. you. <laughs> appreciate that me too Joel me too